Where do you find hope? I don't mean just pie in the sky, rainbows and unicorns kind of hope. I mean a real rooted hope. A hope that's more important than the good times when you get the job, when you win the game, when the relationship is great. I mean a hope that is stronger and more lasting, greater than the hard times where you get that diagnosis or you get the bill that you didn't know was coming and you're not sure how you're going to pay it. When your relationships are strained, when the family is not going the way you'd want it to, when COVID hits, when our life and our nation is divided when we don't know how to elect a president. <laughs> Where do you find hope? I thought I knew coming into 2020 where I found my hope. You see, 2019 was a hard year for the Wallace family. We lost someone in our family that we uh, dearly loved and it was important to us. Had some family struggles that were for the most part, out of our control. I had a, a basically destroyed my shoulder in May and had a major surgery in August. It was a difficult year. And so I had a conversation, maybe not unlike a conversation you've had with God. Uh, last December, I had a conversation. I said, God, 2020 is going to be a year of refreshing. <laughs> and I've got it all planned out. And I've got the calendar worked out. The dates are there. You and I can do this together. And everything was going okay. January, February. I took my son on his first mission trip in March. And I had all these visions of how we would fly back. Just talking about debriefing all that he had seen and experienced. And, and how he was going to apply this to his life moving forward. I had all these visions about how we'd come home and, and tell Jesse about all that we had seen and experienced and how this was going to impact us moving forward. But March came, we finished up the trip, and I wasn't even sure if we were going to fly back. And I didn't know once we got back if we were going to get out of the airport, and I certainly didn't know what we were going to find when we got home. And then everything began to come apart. Now, I've prayed those prayers just like we sang just a moment ago. That God, I want you to take everything that I know and just break it all apart. I just didn't mean all at once, God. <laughs> and I began to figure out that so much of the stuff that I found uh, hope in, so much that I found peace in, enjoyment in, was being pulled away. And you probably experienced that too. Things like our, our sports and our entertainment, uh, even simple stuff like routine, uh, being able to go to the grocery store. Uh, maybe you experienced, I think the hardest for me was to not be able to come into work and, and lead and work with people that I love and care about. And I had all these questions and, and I was struggling about like, not just what do I, am I supposed to do, but who am I? Like, if all of this is gone, what's my identity? And at that moment, it really didn't matter what I had said of this is my hope and this is who I am and, you know, I'm found in Jesus. All that stuff, when rubber hit the road, I was struggling. 
And I realized, man, I was finding my hope in all kinds of different stuff. And so I was reaching, I was grasping, I was trying to figure it out. You know, I, I watched everything on TV until my, you know, eyes were watering. I, I read till my eyes were crossed, till I didn't want to read anymore. I think my dog was probably thinking, please don't take me on another walk. I am exhausted. But like a lot of you, I was just reaching and grasping because I was looking for things in places that just couldn't offer me what I was looking for. And I had to come back in a hard way to only Jesus. That's what we're going to explore this whole month. Only Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus suffered for us and, and why that's important and what that means. We're going to talk about how Jesus is enough. No matter what's going on around us, Jesus is more than enough to meet our need and to walk with us. And then we're going to wrap this series up talking about how we find life with Jesus moment by moment, day after day. Not just one day, but now, how do I find life with him? But I think where we need to start, because if we start in this place and realize this, then it kind of leads into everything else, is to realize and wrestle with the greatness of Jesus. The book of Colossians uh, is sometimes called the Jesus letter because it is 100% focused and centered on Jesus, one of the letters that Paul wrote. And he starts in his letter off with this idea of the greatness of Jesus. So let's look at that together. Colossians, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything and was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. What Paul is encouraging us to, to reconcile ourselves with, to wrestle with, is that before anything else, if we want to make a connection with God, we realize the greatness of Jesus. And he lifts up for us three specific reasons of why Jesus is great. The first thing that Paul tells us is that Jesus is great because Jesus is Savior. Verses 13 and 14, he says he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The literal translation of that phrase is that Jesus has paid the ransom that we cannot pay to free us 
from slavery and bondage. That we were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to death. We were in bondage. And we needed rescuing in a way that we could not orchestrate. That we could not manipulate. We could not make it happen on our own. So Jesus came and paid the ransom, the price that you and I could not pay. So there's this one fallacy, I think, that's at work, especially in the West, in America, is that we lift up above all other things this idea of freedom. I have freedom of choice. I have freedom of decision. I have freedom of behavior. I have freedom to do whatever I want to do. And while that's true legally, spiritually, there are forces at work that really we don't have complete freedom. We either find ourselves in bondage or we choose to serve. It's that reality that Paul lifted up. There are things that I want to do, but I seem to not be able to do it. And all the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I find myself doing again and again and again. But think about it this way. How many of us have ever been in that place, in that moment, and you look at what you did, what you said, or what you didn't do. You look at where you are and you ask yourself the question, how in the world did I get here? This isn't what I planned. This wasn't part of what was supposed to be. I didn't want to be here. How did I end up in this place? Because from the moment we are born, we are in bondage to that force, that brokenness, where we don't do what we want to do and we do what we don't want to do. And so Jesus says, I've come not to, to lay guilt and shame on you, but to set you free, to pay the ransom, to do what only God could do. Because Jesus did what we can't do, Jesus is great. Paul continues, and he says, it's not just because Jesus is Savior that he's great, but it's also because Jesus is divine. Look at verse 15. It says that he is the visible image of the invisible God. There's this mystery that Jesus was God in the flesh, fully human, but also fully God. He wasn't 50-50. It wasn't like sort of, kind of. He was all human and all God. And it's so hard for us to wrestle with, but it is the truth. And I want you to think about this, wrestle with this, the love that God has for us. That he showed up in our lives. He didn't just sit on the throne and say, all right, guys, here's my law. When you figure this out, then we'll get together. Or here's some wisdom for you. Once you can process this, then we'll work on our relationship. No, God said, I'm going to show up. He didn't just get in the neighborhood. He didn't just show up on Zoom, but he was right there with us. The Son of God in the flesh. Next month, we're going to celebrate this idea, this truth of Emmanuel, God with us. And because Jesus is fully God, he is great. And then finally, Paul says, it's not just because he is Savior, and it's not just because he is God, but it's also because Jesus is Creator. Look at the end of verse 16. It says, everything, it means everything, was created through him and for him. 
everything that exists, every atom, every molecule, every part of the universe, you and I are created through Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, as it's telling the story of creation, it says, day after day, God said, he said, let there be light, let there be a separation, let there be animals, let there be birds, let there be humankind, let there be vegetation. Day after day, God spoke things with his word into being. And then John chapter 1 tells us just what that word was. It puts a name to it. It says the word was God. The word was with God. The word was and is and will be Jesus. So that everything that is is brought into being through him. He's the agent of creation. But it's not just through him, but creation is also for him. Everything in the universe is pointing to Jesus. And I love that story as Jesus is going into Jerusalem and the people are crying out and the Pharisees and leaders say, tell them to be quiet, that, that they're celebrating you. And Jesus says, if they're quiet, even the rocks will cry out. Everything is pointing toward the glory of Jesus. And that you and I can make a choice of will we participate willingly by our decision? Will we submit and bring our glory to God? Or will we not? You see, one day, Scripture tells us, Philippians chapter 2, one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's holding it together, Paul says, every second, every moment, of every day, every breath you have, every heartbeat, every thought, every atom vibrating through the universe is being held together by Jesus. From the throne of heaven, he's holding it all together. And because Jesus is holding creation together, he is great. But here's the struggle. It's not that we don't maybe agree with this so much is that we just forget, right? Life happens and, and struggles come and we have responsibilities and we get busy and just all the stuff happens and we forget about the greatness of Jesus. And the very real temptation for us is either to, to come up to the reality that Jesus is Lord and we reject him or we say, I need to add to. This was the struggle for the church in Colossae. As Paul is writing, they were facing the very real temptation that they felt like there must be something missing here. There, there must be some kind of hidden, there's something behind door number three that I need to add to this gospel that Jesus was the son of God, that he showed up, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for my sins, that he rose from the dead and I've got to have faith and trust in him. That sounds wonderful and it's too good to be true. So there must be something I got to add to it. And they were wrestling with this. In verse 8, Paul recognizes, chapter 2, verse 8, he says, listen, don't be taken by these worldly philosophies or these visions of special knowledge uh, that you find in, in these celestial bodies or angelic beings. Resist this temptation that there's some kind of special knowledge out there. And he also said, resist the temptation that there's some kind of special behavior. In verse 16 of chapter two, Paul says, don't let anybody tell you that you have to do these rituals or these routines or these special holidays, or you gotta withhold things. You can't eat that, can't say that, can't do that, gotta wash that, can't go there. And they were being taken by this, this 
temptation that there must be something I'm supposed to know, something I'm supposed to do that gives me a special access to God. And Paul continued to call them back, call them back, call them back, and remind them it's only Jesus. I think we don't do this on purpose. It just kind of happens to us. And I think that the, the, real, the, the reason that this is such a temptation for us that, that there must be some kind of special knowledge or there must be some kind of special behavior is because we think if we get it, if we know it, if we do it, then we'll actually get what we want. It's not that we think that we'll get God. It's that we think that we'll have the favor, the blessing, the goodness that we think we want and deserve from God if we know it, if we do it. Rather than just saying, it's only Jesus. How do I trust? How do I submit? How do I follow him? So the question rises, at least for me, is that how do I know when I'm adding to only Jesus? How do I know when I'm binding to the, to the temptation temptation that there must be some kind of special knowledge out there or some kind of special behavior? How do I know when that's making its way into my life? Well, one way that we can know is that when we love creation more than the creator. I mean, think about that. How many times are we tempted to rather than pursuing God, we pursue the things that God offers or God makes or God has given and rather than pursuing the giver, we pursue the gift. The irony is, is that when I pursue the gift rather than the giver, I miss out on the whole thing. I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to take really good things and turn them into masters of my life. Whether it's a relationship or money or a pursuit, even calling, even the church we can turn good things into masters of our lives and those things make really poor masters and they do not free us and give us purpose. They enslave us. They make life heavy. They make life a burden. And so God would call us and say, listen, I did not come in my grace and love and power to bring a hand out to you. I came to bring the hand of God down to you that I might do life with you and you wouldn't just get what I can offer, but you get me. And when you get me, you get all you could ever need, all you could ever want and more. But how often do we pursue creation rather than the creator? I think another sign for us to look out for that we might be adding to only Jesus is when we don't respond to or obey the call of Jesus. We don't respond to or obey the call of Jesus. Jesus laid it out very clearly for us. During his time of ministry, he, he taught, he did miracles. He laid out truth about the kingdom of God. And he said, the way into the kingdom of God is not broad, it's not expansive. It's not easy where everybody gets in, but it's narrow. Meaning that there's only one way. You don't get to decide against a buffet of decisions about how you get into the, the kingdom of God. There is one way through the gate, which is Jesus by faith, by trust, by submitting to him. We're saved by faith, but the, the legs, the life of faith is submission. 
It's trust that God, whatever you call, wherever you lead, whatever you're doing, I'm with you. The answer is yes, my life is yours because you are God and I am not. So what does it look like for us to really put our faith and our trust in Jesus? Are we pursuing him as he pursues us? Are we engaging God in prayer, not just talking, but are we listening to him? Are we getting to God's word? Are we worshiping him daily, every moment of every day, every second, looking for opportunities to say, God, I just want you. And when he speaks, do we move? I think the struggle for most of us, we've talked about this a lot, is not that we don't want to obey and follow Jesus, but we have that fear that prevents us from taking the step forward. And we think, well, well, if I do this, what if I look like a fool? What if I think God is calling me? What if I think Jesus is speaking to me and I take a step and I fall flat on my face because it wasn't really what Jesus was calling me to do? Here's what I believe about the God that I know through the Holy Spirit and through his word and through his church is that God is greater than our failures, greater than our misunderstandings, greater than our inability to live out fully what God's calling us to do. If I take a step in faith, trusting Jesus is calling me forward and it's the wrong step or I don't do it right or I make a mistake or I don't understand it, don't you know that God is great enough to redirect me because I'm pursuing him by faith? Are we willing to say, I'm gonna respond to and obey the call of Jesus because he's Lord and there's nothing else to add to? And I think finally, one of the things we've got to really watch out for, that we know that we're, we're doing Jesus plus, we're adding to Jesus, is when Jesus doesn't get our full worship. You and I are going to worship something. Whether you consider yourself a full-fledged, passionate follower of Jesus or you're agnostic or you're atheist or not even really sure where you land, you and I are going to worship something. Something will get our devotion. Something will get our attention. Something will have our submission. It might be money. It might be a relationship. It might be a religion. It might be uh, your career. It might be something that you think brings you pleasure and enjoyment. It might be you that we, we worship something and make idols of so many things. I just want to encourage you this week to do a self-assessment. Take a look at your, your life. Take a look at your checkbook or your bank account. Take a look at your calendar. Take a look at your conversations. Take a look at what occupies your thoughts and your feelings from day to day. What is grabbing your attention, your devotion, your submission? Would we be willing to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, my devotion and my attention and my submission are in the wrong places. And rather than bringing freedom and life and purpose and a greater sense of who God is, it's bringing a burden and it's bringing responsibility and it's bringing a heavy weight and I can't move forward and I need to put God back on the throne of my life because he's still on the throne of the universe, on the throne of heaven, and I need to place him at the right place in my life. And I want to worship him, not just on Sunday. You don't check a box and you're done worshiping when we leave. But as we're riding in our car, that we can worship God as we sing songs or as we pray or we just listen to his voice. 
We can worship God at work when you got to make that difficult decision and work through that difficult circumstance. I can say, I'm going to do this to honor God. I'm going to do this God's way. We can do it as we work through family issues that I'm not going to put myself first, but I'm going to put God on the throne and look how I can serve and love the people around me. That I can look from day to day to worship Him through song or prayer or silence. That I can get, walk outside and look at all that God has made and worship Him and know that Jesus is on the throne. At the end of the day, what we really have to come to grips with is that if I want to worship Jesus, I cannot worship Him and worship the other things of this world. I must choose. There's only one seat on the throne. Will I let Jesus be where he belongs. So ultimately, we're going to wrestle with this in the weeks to come, but I just want to preface it today. And I hope that we wrestle with this for the next several weeks. Is Jesus enough? What if 2020 goes and 2021 comes and things aren't all better? What if the healing doesn't come? What if the relationship doesn't become what I want it to be? What if the finances never rebound? What if the career never is what I thought it would be or should be? What if I never get to that place where I want it to be? Then what? Is Jesus enough? Or do I feel like I have to have Jesus plus? That's a hard thing for us to wrestle with, but I'll just give you the, the end of the book, the Cliff Notes version, the answers to the test is Jesus is enough. He's always enough. He's more than enough. And if we will take the risk to bow before him, and it is a risk because you got to let go of some stuff. And if I bow down before him, he is always enough. If we'll have the courage, say it's not about some kind of special knowledge where I got to figure things out. It's not about a special behavior where I got to be good enough because I'll never be good enough. And I can never offer an, an eternal offering to you, God, to an eternal God because I'm mortal. I have a beginning where God always was and always is and always will be. I can never measure up to that, God. It's never a you plus anything. It's always just you and I fall down before you. So would we have the courage to let go and say, Jesus, it's only you. I'm gonna invite you to stand. We're gonna sing one more song. Whether you're here today in the room or you're watching online or catching up later, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is wanting to stir in our hearts. He wants to move in us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to strengthen us with what only He can do if we will let him. These altar rails are open. You can pray in your seat. You can pray at home. Maybe you just need to say, you know what? I've gotten all mixed up with all this other stuff and I need to worship you alone again, Jesus. Maybe you just never really were sure about the place of Jesus in your life and it's been Jesus plus. Maybe you've come to religion or you've come to a church or you've come to the Bible, but you've never really come to Jesus and let him minister to you and let him do for you what only he can do. Today could be that day where it's not the plus, but it's only Jesus. You could receive that 
that love and that power and that eternal life today. Or maybe you just need to come and just say, I'm in awe. I'm just in awe of who you are. You are faithful. You are true. You are good again and again and again. And just let him be God for you. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me that we would have that courage to let go and say, Lord, by faith in Jesus, you are enough. I pursue you as you pursue me and only you. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your love, your grace, your power, your truth. God, thank you that we don't have to have another way. God, what sets this call of following Christ apart from all other calls is it's not some hidden knowledge. It's not some special behavior where we've got to work it out. But we just come by faith and by trust. And Jesus is all that is needed. That on the cross, he accomplished it. It is finished. It is done. He is in heaven proclaiming victory if we will receive it. God, let us receive it by faith. For those of us, God, who have been struggling and we've got all the stuff mixed in, I pray that there'd be a, a sifting where we can come back to you. For those of us, Lord, who have come to religion, we've come to church, we've come to the Bible, we've come to philosophy, we've come to a conversation or a personality, but we've never come to Jesus. Let today be the day where you encounter us and we experience that freedom in you as we repent and recognize our brokenness and we proclaim faith in Christ. And for those of us, Lord, who you just been faithful and good and true, we just are in awe of you and we worship. God, receive our praise, let it bring glory to you. Holy Spirit, come and stir and move and work, encourage, challenge, open our eyes and our ears and our heart that we could come to you fully. It's in Jesus' holy name and in the power of your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.